Now, I, I get it. So far, as we've been going on this series, we start with Genesis, and you're like, I like Genesis. I like God creating. I, I like all that. Then we got to Exodus, and you're like, man, I like the Exodus. Man, I love the story of Moses. I, I really love all that. And then we get to Leviticus. Yeah. That's where, if we're just being honest today, you may start moving quicker in your reading. You may start, you know, taking a chapter out of your reading and saying, I just want to move on to something more exciting. But today I want to show you why we should fall in love with the book of Leviticus. How can we live in God's presence? Well, the answer is given to us in the book of Leviticus. For just before it, in the book of Exodus, we see Moses trying to enter God's presence. For God had just filled this newly constructed tabernacle with his glorious luminescence. But a problem develops for Moses, which still exists for us today. We cannot enter in to God's space. And the reason we can't enter in is because of who we are and who he is. Because God is perfection and we are sin. It's the same reason why darkness can't exist within light. Because that which is dark cannot remain next to that which is bright. So, if we are ever to dwell with God, we must become like light. Or, as the book of Leviticus will tell us, the only way to live with God closely is to be holy as he is holy. But how can we? With all our sin and everything that's broken, how will our darkness be able to enter his presence for even one moment? Well, the book of Leviticus provides us with the answer, and it's through something called atonement. Atonement is the price that has to be paid to make humans and God alike. So God graciously provided a system through priests and sacrifice to take his people's darkness and replace it with light. Atonement allowed the Israelites to transfer their darkness onto an offering God had specified. And since the cost of sin is the loss of life, that atoning offering had to die. But that only removed the penalty of darkness. It did not create any light which is why sacrifice is only part of the story atonement has to tell. The other part is that God made a way to turn his people into light as well. That's what Leviticus calls purification, the taking of the dark and making it bright with God's holy illumination. It's taking the innocence of the sacrifice and granting it to another in an act of gracious application. And that's what God gave the nation of Israel, a way for them to be light like him and live near his presence in the temple. That's why this system was essential. That's why atonement was necessary. But the problem was, 
the effects of this ceremonial system were only temporary. For like all of us, the people who lived in the time of Leviticus did not sin just once, but constantly. So they did not need atonement one time, but repeatedly. They could not stop becoming darkness and deserving its penalty. They could not stop becoming unlike God and needing new purity. Which is why the priests had to stand at the altar daily to make atonement for the people unceasingly. That's why Leviticus is filled with so many sacrifices and offerings. But no matter the offering, again and again, with great care and expense, the priests stood on behalf of the condemned to take their darkness, make it light, and intercede for them. So when we read in Leviticus about goat livers and dove wings, fine flour and kidneys, what we really need to see is just how much it takes to make atonement for our wrongs so we might be right. We need to see how much it costs to take our stains and make them white. We need to see that something has to die to take our darkness and make us light. But above all, we must remember the point of all of this is to make a way for us to live in God's presence. Which is why one day described in Leviticus outshines all of this meticulous maintenance. And it becomes the book's main focus. And the name for this day, the name for this moment, is the Day of Atonement. For on this day, God provided a way for just one priest, just once a year, to enter his presence, make amends for sin, and allow all God's people to be cleansed. But this priest was not truly light. He had to make his own sacrifice to briefly be allowed to enter God's might. So this was not a permanent condition, but a momentary glimpse. This was not the end of the story, but where it begins. For if humans living outside God's light are ever to be brought within, we are going to need a better priest, one who is without sin, one who doesn't have to purify himself to enter the tent, but who is already light itself and can bring us with him. Which is why what Leviticus depicts is not a finished system. Instead, it points to something else in the distance. To a day God had chosen. The day when God would complete everything Leviticus put in motion. It points us to another day, a final day of atonement. For the light in the temple, the very presence of God, did not stay in heaven, but became flesh and blood. And this God in the flesh, this blood from the Father, put his own life and light on the last and final altar. 
The final day of atonement is in Jesus' cross. It fulfills everything Leviticus taught and every sacrifice found within. But no longer would sinners bring their offering to God, for God would be the offering for them. And so, he who is light itself took on our darkness and died for our sins. But then, Jesus did something even better than the priest did on the Day of Atonement. Jesus brought God's light out to those who before could never even approach it. Which is why Leviticus shows us that through atonement we get to live with God. For Jesus has made us into holy light like he is too. And the most astonishing part of this good news is that the light of God's presence actually comes to dwell in you. Father God, we need your presence Lord, as we open your word, we want to experience what you have to say into our lives. And Lord, we want to be changed by it. So Lord, help us be reminded that all scripture is breathed out by you. So because of that, we need to hear from you, even in the Old Testament. Lord, even in Leviticus. So Lord, open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see. And Lord, open our hearts to be receptive to what you're calling us to do with the book of Leviticus today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to make a note that I haven't yet um, of this series. Um, The videos that you're seeing are from a a spoken word artist out of Oklahoma. Um, He compiled these videos. Uh, We got to see them and we're just moved by them. We bought the rights to use them. And the rights we bought were to the shortest form of all these videos. We were heartbroken. So we reached out to him and just said, listen, we want to show the videos in our church during this series. And he gave his blessing to the long-form videos that you're getting to see during this series. And so we just want to make a special note of thank you to him and his ministry. Um, God has poured out amazing things. And you just wait. Um, for me, every video gets better than the last, and Leviticus was, Leviticus was uh, just an awesome, awesome video. So let's start with looking into Leviticus about what it's about. First, we've got to kind of capture why is the book of Leviticus in our Bible? So let's look together. Leviticus 10, 11 tells us this. It says, teach the Israelites the statutes the Lord has given to them through Moses. Leviticus, let's just go to this first fill in the blank together. Leviticus means, uh, and he called. And, and it was written, it derives from the tribe of Levi. That's why we get Leviticus from the tribe of Levi. It was written for the Levites to carry this new teaching that Moses had given to his people. It was written so that the people would capture how God wanted to have a relationship with them. And so through it all, we get these amazing moments of all these different sacrifices, of all these different moments, how God was trying to atone his people, bring his people back to him. He wanted a relationship with his people, even in the desert, when they complained that he brought them there. But let's look at Leviticus 20, 26 together. 
This passage just continues the same thing you just saw. It says this, You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and have set you apart from the nations to be mine. God wanted them to be holy. In fact, look at your next fill in the blank. Holiness is mentioned and used around a hundred times in Leviticus. Does God want his people to be holy? Absolutely. And in Leviticus, he was giving them every tool by which to be holy. Now, here's the problem with it. God still calls his people to be holy. And we still mess it up just like the people of Leviticus. So what's the hope of this? I mean, if you read Leviticus and you spent enough time and you just made a list of everything that God was calling his people to do to be holy, you would be pretty, I don't know, saddened. You would realize really quick that there is no way you and I could accomplish this. The same was true for the people of Leviticus. And so here's the last one, 26, 12. If you'll make a note there, it says, I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. God was not only calling them to capture all of these ways to get to know him, he also wanted them to be holy because that's who he was. He wanted them to be like him. And then he takes it a step further and says, and I will walk amongst you. Why does he say those words? Because they would have remembered. How did God start his relationship with man? He did what? He walked amongst them. In Genesis, it gives us that, that God still wants that intimacy with his people. He still wants to be amongst them. He still cherishes them as a creation. He loves them enough that he wants them to be like he is. He wants a relationship that's mutually shared. So the book of Leviticus really comes into two parts for us. It comes in two parts. The first is chapters 1 through 17 as the way of access to God. We see that God gives them a way that they can connect with him. So the very first part, if you're reading it, chapters 1 through 17, if you're going to read Leviticus, shows you how God wanted them to have a path to him. Just imagine for a moment, if you will, with me, what has happened in the Israelites' life to this point. They're given all these laws by Moses. There's moments that God is up on the mountain, and they've seen Moses go out to be with him, but they couldn't even get close to the mountain. And that holy God, that God that rocks mountains, the God that moves uh, waters and parts them, the God that does things like wipes out Egyptians, the God that brings manna, the God that brings water, the God that does all these things desires a relationship with you, but how do you get that? How do you start a relationship with God? I mean, you got to capture for a moment how distant this must feel. And so let me give you a for instance. Today, you decide that you want to be best friends with Matthew McConaughey. So what you do is you move to Austin and you go take his class at UT. You go sit in his class, you learn from him, you watch what he wears, you start to wear the same things. You see where he eats, you eat at the same places. You start to see what he likes, you start to do the same things. All in the hopes that in some crazy way, he's going to turn and go, you know what, we should be best friends. I mean, if anything, he's going to turn to you and say, 
hey, creeper, run away. But see, God is bigger than all right, all right, all right. He's more powerful. He has more clout. And that God who crafted everything, who made the mountains, who made the world, who set the stars in place, gives us a way to get to know him intimately. Not far off, not from a distance, not a fan. God doesn't need any more fans. He wants you to be a son and daughter. So he gives you a way to a relationship with him, and that's what he's given the people of Israel in Leviticus. I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. I want you to be holy because I want to be around you. A while back, I've talked about this trip before. When I went to India, every day at the end of the day, um, I would think about my family. They were getting up and I was going to bed. And every morning I'd get up and, and I would set uh, a video uh, camera up and, and I would Skype with them. And I'd look at my wife and say, hey, how's it going? And she'd say, where are you? And I'd say, Mysore, India. You know, we're in the town of Kings. And I'd see my babies and I was like, oh, I miss y'all so much. And we'd go, well, we got to go. And we'd look at each other and the camera would end and I'd go, I want to be here, but I'd much rather be there. We will learn that God desires to be with you all the time. But you have to grow that desire to want to be around him as well. That's called holiness. Because that's what God demands. Think of it in terms of this. We are proud Texans. Which means this. Most of us have more than one gun at the house. You get invited to go to the White House. You know what you're not taking with you? Your guns. Not that you can't be trusted with it, most of you, yeah, but because that's not allowed. And we have no problem with that. But we do have a problem with a God that demands holiness. Because we like to hold on to our sin more than we want to be around God. That's why the book of Leviticus exists. So did they. The problem was this. God gave them a path of holiness that they should have followed. All these steps that they should have done. And maybe today, that's what you say of your life. I just wish that God gave us five things I have to do every day to make a good relationship with him. If you could just do steps, you would feel better about your faith. If he would just tell me that I've got to do 30 push-ups a day and I will be awesome with him, I would do it. No, you wouldn't. You know why? Because some donut shop would go in across the street. The problem with Leviticus is God was down the street and he gave them every single way to get to him. And they didn't go there. That's why Leviticus exists. So chapters 1 through 17 are the way to access to God. But look at Leviticus 17, 11 with me. I find this very interesting that all through this, God is setting up for a day that was going to come. 17, 11 says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have appointed it to you to make an atonement on the altar for your lives, since it is the lifeblood that makes atonement. 
Leviticus 17.11 teaches us the only way to come to relationship with God is through blood. He set it up in Leviticus, and it may seem gross and grotesque, but God knew that sacrifice would cost something. And he didn't want the people to cheapen God's holiness. He wanted it to be costly. He wanted it to involve sacrifice. That's why it's called sacrifice. Not because the animal had to die, but because you had to give up something for it. It was going to cost you something. And that cost would be great. And you would start to see that God's holiness is worth it. Every so often at Six Flags, they have Dr. Pepper days. It works like this. You show up to Six Flags, you bring your Dr. Pepper, and the ticket's half price. That day, Six Flags has almost every ride break down because of the abuse of it. The day after Dr. Pepper Day, the park is empty. Not because people don't want to go, but because they don't want to sacrifice to get there. We have gone through too many days with a holy God and cheapened who he is. To the point of we only show up when it's easy. Not a whole lot of people want to go serve Jesus on days where the Cowboys play the early game. The hardship is this. Would you show up if every day you knew God's presence would be there? That's where the Leviticus people struggled. The Levites were there every day, sacrificing, fulfilling the law, doing what they had to do every day, every day. Every day. You remember when I was growing up, Dunkin' Donuts had the guy that he would make the donuts. And then he had that one commercial where he found himself. He says, I'm going to make the donuts. He said, I made the donuts. That's, that's the Levites. I got to go do the sacrifice. I've done the sacrifice. I mean, these people just sin. Oh, won't they ever get it? What would you do? Do I sinned? Well, Okay. Leviticus was written because the people, although God's presence was with them, they didn't understand it. The people would have a place. They would have the tabernacle. God would dwell there. He would be there with them. And the people would have a person. They would have the priest. Someone that they could go to. That they could offer sacrifices through. So God gave them a tabernacle, God gave them a priest, and if you're reading Leviticus, chapters 18 through 27 shows us the way to walk in God. He not only gave them a way to connect with him, he gave them a way to follow after him. So chapters 18 through 27 is the way to walk in God. He showed them the pattern by which to live their lives. How do you avoid so much sacrifice? You walk in God. Every day there is sacrifice, though. Just imagine for a moment, if you will, with me, where the tabernacle would be set and all the tribes around it and the sheer gravity of sacrifice smell, of sacrifices blood spilt. The wilderness temple, God's presence would pick up off the temple and move and they would gather camp and they would move with it and again they'd set the temple and set around it and God's presence would come again. Just imagine 
if you will with me, the carnage left behind of the sacrifice. And the people walking around it going, man, I'm glad I don't have that job. Here's the thing. Laws weren't given to stifle life. They were given to enjoy it. People didn't even get it that God's holiness wasn't a bad thing. It was the thing that gave us life. It was the thing that made us connected and filled, made us feel fulfilled. But they tried everything else, a job, a relationship, stature. I mean, it's something that Jesus has to talk to the people about. Ultimately, he would share with them that it wasn't about the tassels. It wasn't about the flacteries. It wasn't about being seen or having the best seat at the table. It was really about Jesus Christ himself. But the people got so lost in all the trappings. You can almost just imagine people bringing sacrifice and it not even meaning anything to them. How many Sundays will we come and it mean nothing to us? We should come expecting to see God speak into our lives and change us. And it should happen. I believe that every Sunday you walk in this room, regardless of what I say from the pulpit and regardless of what songs play, God's presence should be waiting for you. And it should change us. And it should be expected and it should be a buffet of his presence, not just a scrap. God is always looking to and fro throughout the earth, seeking a heart that he can strengthen. But is he finding hearts? I wonder how long that line looked like at the temple. How many people stood in line with their lamb or, well, let's just look at the offerings. There were burnt offerings. There were Sin offerings, there are trespass offerings, there is peace offerings, there's grain offerings. You can just see that there were so many opportunities at different times to come and bring something to God, and how eventually that line looked like this. Can you believe we're doing this again? I mean, I've got better things to do. You know, my kid's playing, you know, Jewish soccer ball over there, and I'm missing his game to do this. You know, I sent the wife, but I had to come because she said, I've got to show up to the synagogue. I'm not coming next week, though. I mean, I'm, I'm so tired of going. You know what? Let's, let's take about three weeks away from the synagogue, and let's just see what happens. But it happened then, too. I bet it happened that people just got out of the habit of sacrificing. I bet you people got tired of doing the same old thing do you know the priest never holds the knife the way i like it did you know that that other priest every time every single time i show up he has forgotten how to shave and can you believe they don't play that song like they used to at the temple i know I mean, these young people and their new songs, they're going straight to hell with those songs. I'm telling you right now. They don't sing How Great Thou Art Enough, and I'm telling you, that's the only song they play in heaven. Can you believe that the woman down the street doesn't watch my kids so that we can stand in line to go to the tabernacle? Shame on her. They probably said it. We like to think that that's an Americanized version of Christianity. But they probably said it. 
kind of like we do. The only difference is this. God didn't change the book of Leviticus. He changed our story. Chuck Swindoll says this about Leviticus. So when Christ came, the book of Leviticus necessarily lost its punch. It was designed that way. Its significance was designed to become obsolete. And I know that this sentence may seem strange to you, but guys, leave it on the screen for just a second. Because I think it's really important that we capture this. That all of Leviticus is answered through one man. All of Leviticus was given its proper place in the life of Jesus. So that you and I no longer have to go to a tabernacle. You and I no longer have to go to a priest. He is the tabernacle. He is the priest. He is the way. He is everything that Leviticus was hoping we could be. And we couldn't do it. And so God sends his son. And he says, I will fulfill it. And he does. And he makes the significance and the severity of Leviticus make sense all of a sudden. Why all this movement? Why all this sacrifice? Why all this blood? Because one man would shed his blood and it would be so significant and his sacrifice would be so deep that you and I would have a way to holiness not through acts, not through motion, but through him. And because of that, there is significance in the blood of Christ. It should be meaningful, but I want to tell you something. It is equally significant, the carnage that's left behind. Because through him, all people's sins would be covered by one man. God would take the sin of every person, in every tribe, of every race, of every age, of every generation, and he would put it all on Jesus Christ on the cross. So that you and I would never get to say, but you don't know my sin, Pastor. Jesus does. So you and I could never say, but you don't know how far I've gone. Jesus does. And so that you and I could never say, but I could never go to him. He came to us. That's why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because God came and dwelled amongst us. No longer would he be behind a curtain. No longer would we have to have a priest go on our behalf. He would rip that curtain open and he would show up to us. It's powerful. It is powerful that Leviticus is there so that you and I would see the significance of Jesus. So why read the book? Why read the book of Leviticus? Number one, the sacrifices spoke of the future, eternal sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The sacrifices spoke of the future, eternal sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That death on the cross is still enough. It's still enough. It's never lost its value. It did not diminish. It didn't like the day Jesus died didn't become less because it saved one person. It is going to be eternally enough. It doesn't mean that today that you just barely fit into Jesus is enough. No, he is going to long outdo the weight of sin. He didn't just cover sin. He wrecked it. He made it so that sin no longer had a place for those in him. He made it so that sin no longer could just give a death sentence. It gave way to eternal life. Jesus' death was eternal in nature. It's enough. It's enough for you. It's enough for me. It's enough for everyone in this room. Enough for everybody in Amarillo. Enough for everybody in our world. For every generation that was and is to come. It's enough. 
Jesus is enough. So because of that, today, if you don't know Jesus, he is enough for you. You no longer have to come and bring a lamb. You no longer have to come and bring grain. You no longer have to come and do these sacrifices. You come and give yourself to him. He is enough for you and I. He's enough. The last is this. It reminds us that Jesus fulfilled the complete book of Leviticus. There is not a note in Leviticus that Jesus' life and death does not cover. So why read Leviticus if it's obsolete to our current life? I mean, certainly God's not asking us to come do grain offerings. Certainly he's not asking us to come and bring those same burnt offerings. So why should we read it? Because it shows who Jesus is. His very nature is written in the book of Leviticus. His very sacrifices echoed throughout the book. It shows us that even the people there needed to see God do some things, and they couldn't capture it. And so when you and I miss moments with Jesus, we're just like the people of Israel in the desert, wandering and wondering, where is God? So the book of Leviticus shows up at a perfect time. Everything written down, everything shown forth, so that God could show that He is the great high priest. He is the temple, and He can live in us. His holiness can be ours. And while we may struggle in our walk with the Lord, He is constant. Wait, when the days come that we feel like our bulbs have grown dim in our walk with Him, He stays bright. In those moments that you feel like you're alone, you can realize this. He always leaves his light on for you. Always. When the people were there in the desert and they could see God's holiness, but they couldn't touch it, it wasn't because God didn't want them to. It's because they could not pursue holiness constantly. But today, you and I can't either. We need help. And God sent Jesus, his only begotten son, for us. So that you and I, even though we're going to mess it up, I promise you we're going to wreck it. He is the holiness that we need. He is enough. And what's more is, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, you and I will never measure up. But Jesus does. When I was a little kid, I can remember in Crosbyton, Texas, the part of the sermon that hit me the most. I was seven years old. We had a revival preacher. They had a big tent revival outside of town. And he said these words, when God looks at a Christian, he sees Jesus. When God looks at man, he sees sin. How do you want God to see you? I can remember struggling with that. Because I wanted God to see Jesus in me. I didn't know how. Went back to my house and sat with my parents and my older sister. And they, they showed me through scripture that God made a path for me in Jesus Christ. That he died for my sins. And that because of him, God, when he looks at me, could see Jesus. But he had to be in me. And so I prayed and received Christ right there in my house. In Crosby's in Texas, in the midst of Big Tent Revival. It changed my life. And I wish I could tell you I've been perfect ever since. I haven't. 
man, I've struggled. I've struggled in sin. I've struggled with doubt. I've struggled with fear. I've struggled with depression. I mean, you name it, you and I have probably been in the same camp. But you know what's been constant? Him. He has never left me. He has never forsaked me. He has stayed with me through it all. He'll stay with you too. Today, do you know Jesus Christ as the Savior of your sins, rescuing you from your sin and pulling you away from it so that you could repent and turn away, let it loose? And is he the Lord of your life, now leading you every day? Today, if you've never made that decision, today is your day. You don't have to be enough. You don't have to be clean enough. You don't have to have your stuff right enough. All you need is Jesus. He is enough. And he'll be enough for you like he is for me. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I pray, Lord, that I have friends in this room that today will make you known in their life. Lord, that today they would proclaim you as Savior and Lord of their life. And God, today they would make it known. Lord, fear always robs from us. It tells us that we can wait. It tells us that people will stare, that people will point. The truth is, God, we rejoice when people give their lives to you. Lord, not only us, but Lord, Scripture says that heaven rejoices. So, Lord, don't let the enemy steal another day from anyone in this room. But, God, let them boldly proclaim Jesus as the Lord of their life. God, we need you. And, Lord, we believe that you're going to change the room as your presence falls, and we worship you in this time. God, we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Here's what we do. We have this time we call invitation. We do it every Sunday here at our church. It's a time for you to come and pray. You can come and kneel. You can sit. You can pray where you are. You can come find a knee. You can find somebody to pray with you. Or maybe today you need to talk to somebody about Jesus Christ. And you just don't know where to start. Well, today there's going to be a few of us down here. And we'd love to talk to you about Jesus. We'd love to have that moment with you where you can just ask a question. We'd love to answer as much as we can. Maybe today you just need a place that you can call home. We like this place. It's our church family. And if you want to be a part of it, I'd love to talk to you about that as well. No matter what, in the next few minutes, it's our last time together where we have to corporately sing and worship to our Lord. Take that moment richly. Don't forget about it. Sing boldly and pursue his heart. Would you stand with us? You come during this time. You prayer warriors, you come. And let's seek the Lord's face together.